This morning, I will be finishing up the third of three sermons on the three S's. So Adam took us through um, Sunday morning and the importance of Sunday as a whole, the Sabbath day, our coming together to worship, uh, the benefit that that is for us as a church of the Redeemer family. Hunter took us through the S of service, that we are to be outward focused in service to many around us after we are filled, after we are uh, given input through the Lord himself. This morning, we'll look at the value of small groups. What do small groups do to help fuel our fire for the Lord? That's what we're going to look at this morning. A study a couple decades ago showed that in America, 20% of people reported that, I feel lonely. Five years after that, the number doubled. 40% of people designated them in the category of, I feel lonely. To add insult to injury, a professor at the University of Chicago said, those who feel lonely feel like they're going around with a big L on their forehead. L for lonely, L for loser. So that's kind of the negative side. C.S. Lewis said, with respect to the, the value of connection and not being lonely, he said, if I had it to do over again, I would have moved closer to a friend, realizing the importance of connection. And, and we didn't know this study, or we didn't need this study from years back to tell us this. We could go back to biblical times. God, from the beginning, created us to have vertical relationship with him, but also the importance of horizontal relationship with each other. And so we believe the importance of connecting and the importance of connecting through small groups and the importance of connecting through small groups for the sake of discipleship is very, very important for Church of the Redeemer. With that in mind, would you stand for the reading of God's word from 1 Thessalonians 5? We won't see directly the word small group. We won't see directly the words discipleship but we're going to see that it's integrated throughout this passage. Paul writes, God speaks. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we do pray simply that you would fuel our fire in our walks with you, that we would see the value that you call us to, having been redeemed, what you call us to in relationship and connection with each other. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. If you have a bulletin, I encourage you to to take that out and follow along. There's an outline in there. It's even color-coded this morning. took quite a while to put the black ink in the printer and then take it out and put the blue ink in and the ready. So use your bulletin after all that effort. 
But the big idea, simply put, and that we're going to walk through is this. Having been redeemed. If you are a believer, Church of the Redeemer, there's a, there's a point to that name. The value of the name Redeemer and being redeemed. Having been redeemed, we ought to make disciples by intentionally building each other up in the Lord through small groups in order to G, as that sentence was starting to get a little long, G means our four Gs, gather, ground, grow, go, patiently waiting on the results. So having been, having been redeemed, verses 9 and 10 there in the text give the picture of redemption. Biblically speaking, most often indicatives will precede imperatives. We will be told why something is the case before we are told how or what to do. Famous author and speaker Simon Sinek wrote the book, Start with the Why, which has had a huge impact in corporate circles and leadership and so forth. Start with the why. People want to know why before you go and tell them what or how to do it. Simon Sinek, bestseller, he was borrowing from the Apostle Paul from 2,000 years before. Paul does the same. Paul says, let me tell you about your salvation before I tell you to what to go and do. Paul starts with a picture of salvation. As does, emphasis on salvation, the famous American preacher, Jonathan Edwards, who preached probably the most famous sermon maybe ever heard, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Probably heard that name. In it, in his just calm voice, just kind of deadpan, just talks about a spider hanging by a thin thread. All the thin thread is left that holds him over the very pit of hell. And it's only by God's grace that that spider is withheld. And in the same way, he says, it's only by God's grace that the sinner is reclaimed from the pit of hell. Is that not what Paul is saying here as well? You're not destined for wrath. You have been redeemed. If you are a believer here this morning, you have been redeemed from guilt, from the punishment of sin, from hell, from the devil, from bondage, from being an orphan, from being a thief, from being a liar, from being a God-hater. Salvation is taking you from something awful. Wrath of God. But that's not all. You are saved. Salvation is to something. There's the from, but there's the to that's even better. You are saved to Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Life with the Holy Spirit living in you, brother and sister. The inheritance along with Christ. Fellowship with believers. Hope that is a sure hope of life together with God forever. You are a child of the King. So if that doesn't get an amen... We said last week, this is all i got to do to get an amen. amen. Can, we, can we get an amen? Okay. So please, amen more for our salvation having been redeemed. 
brothers and sisters. We start there before we are told to do anything. My role in salvation, your role in salvation, I got lost. The rest is on God. He has redeemed you. He has redeemed me. But it's not over. So if you're the type that, well, I'll take a little bit of God's sovereignty, but or predestination, don't, don't give me much of that. I want to know what I get to do. What's my part? Okay, that's coming. That's coming. The passage, in effect, says the first thing is that we need to be awakened. We need to be awakened. And the word there, watchful, saying we need to be watchful. And the word for watchful is the same word integrated with the root word for angels. The angels in Scripture are so often portrayed with eyes all around them, seeing, being watchful, being aware of what God is doing. And we are called to do the same thing. Our lives are not done. Otherwise, when God, when you're converted, why did he not just take you home then? Because there is a plan for us to make disciples. Rescued from hell to glory, we should be watchful and we should be intentional. Intentional about what? Okay, Having been redeemed, intentional to make disciples. We ought to make disciples. Yes, ought. Paul says, I ask you and then I urge you. There's an oughtness to that in verses 12 and 14. He urges us. The word parakaleo, called out exhorted, called out to something. Back in 2005, Lieutenant Mike, uh, Michael Murphy, Navy SEAL in Afghanistan, fighting on a mission against Taliban forces, he and three others were trapped, surrounded. He stepped out into fire in order to call out for reinforcements to save his comrades. He was shot in the back. Rather than scrambling for his own safety, he scrambled to get the transmitter again to call out again for help that did come. He gave his life calling out for physical help for his comrades. A noble, noble deed. Paul here is, in a sense, telling us to call out for something maybe even more important, the spiritual, not just physical, the spiritual salvation of those around us to make disciples. This church, Church of the Redeemer, we're not here for this building to be a comfy cruise ship or a country club. We're not called to be consumers. I like this, I don't like this. This is to be more of a hospital. You're out there battling to make disciples. You're going to get wounded. You're going to get hurt. Come in here, get bandaged up, get restored, get encouraged, get inspired, because it is a battle out there. It is a battle out there. You know, in, in our society, and really so often even in Christian circles, we don't like to hear that. We like to think of our lives in some sense kind of like marbles. You know, marbles can kind of slip and slide by each other, they can bounce off. They're not like magnets, they don't stick together. You know, they just kind of, whoa, they go wherever. Now that's a 
a hazard. We'll have to get the children to pick those up afterwards. Some of those are important. I won those in keepsies when I was eight, nine years old. But so marbles just go all over. They don't stick together. And a lot of times that's what we want to do. Our society says, I'm an individual. I'll decide about my sex, my gender, my morals, my job, my family, my friends. Don't, don't try to speak into my life. It's my rights, my happiness, my self-fulfillment. If you say, try to tell me what to do, not to do, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. But the Bible, especially then speaking to us within the church, who can still try to do the same thing. You know, you start to get in my life and I don't want to hear it. I'll, I'll give you the Heisman. Stay away. I'll shut the door on you like a Jehovah's Witness. Just slam the door. The Bible did not give a suggestion about making disciples. It's urgent that we get involved. So really, rather than marbles, the illustration is more like, you know, you get these little headphones, but then you put a couple in a bag together. Oh my, then try to get those apart. They're, they're a mess. They're woven together. And that's really the Christian lives as making disciples. It gets messy. You get involved in other people's lives. Let them get involved in my life. It can be messy. It gets like those strung together. So if you agree, if I persuaded you all that we need to be involved in each other's lives, we ought to make disciples. How about a generality with that? We should do it by building each other up in the Lord, finding evidences of grace in others, and encouraging them. As Paul says in verse 11, encourage one another and build each other up. Interesting to hear that from Paul. Paul is one who will call out sin, sin, flag, foul, all that with the churches. But he also made sure. Here's an evidence of grace. Here's God working in you. I see you loving. I see you having mercy. I see. Keep on doing that. Keep on doing that. Encouraging, finding evidence of grace. It's not flattery. It's saying, I see God doing this. Thank you, Lord, for that. Encourage the person. And we say, do it, at least partly, through small groups, in order to, G gather, ground, grow, go. So groups, what is, the, what is the main group, or at least first group, that Paul talks about here? He says in verse 12, Respect those who labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. So, you are in a small group here at Redeemer, where it says, respect those among you. If you're a member of Redeemer, when you took your vows, you opted in, whether you knew it or not, to a shepherding group. So you are part of an elder and a deacon who provide care for you. The deacon, if you have a physical issue, lose your job, injured, need help physically, uh, whatever, the, the, the deacon will step in and assist and provide help. There's also an elder, and that's a, a bit more of what's being spoken of in this passage, an elder who provides spiritual care for you. Now, the passage says that you, those who are over you, caring for you, you should esteem them highly. And the word there is the picture of a, a body of water that is overflowing the banks, that you are to think highly and appreciate an elder like Dan Ray, one of the new elders. CEO help run, helps run his company, FHG. Godly husband, loving father, when he takes time to invest in you, 
with his leadership, with his prayer, with his counsel, with his care, we are to appreciate his work. Scripture says so. Get to know your elder. Your elder is not big brother like in George Orwell's 1984. You know, just look at uh, Pastor Adam, aisle five, we got stretch. I see his head starting to bob there. <laughs> Send him back to Sun Valley. No, I mean, that, that's not what the elders are doing. They're not big brother. We, we actually have a new video surveillance system now that's going to catch any head bobbing. By next week, zip, we'll zap you in your seats. We don't need the elders for that. We need the elders for more important stuff. They're here to help. So often in churches now, people get mad because they see the church leadership, the elders as part of a corporation, and I'm the consumer, and you need to satisfy me. And if you don't, me as a consumer, I'm just going to go to another church store. That's not what church is. So your elders, you'll see that they'll, they'll try to keep in touch with you. Maybe four touches or contacts a year where there's a, there's a call, an email, maybe a chat in the hall, and then hopefully a, a shepherding visit where they come once a year and visit you on your home turf. You reach out to them as they reach out and, and talk to you. I mean, some of the elders might be nervous too. Blair Burke, he gets quite nervous when he uh, meets a new person. No. But it's, it's a chance to interact and let them know how to pray for each other, pray for you. Calvin, John Calvin said of this passage, the reason you want to esteem the leaders, esteem the elders, is not for their sake so they get strokes, but it's for congregational peace. Congregational peace. When there is that right respect of leadership. That's a type of small group at Redeemer. A type of small group that we have here. If you're a member, you are part of one of these small groups. If you're not, you're missing out. And brothers and sisters, I can tell you, I would want, I would want a dearly Catherine as an elder praying for me, having compassion for me, or Carol Killo helping me through trials after the years and years of experience that he's had leading others through that, of a James Barefoot who hits me with and would hit you with insightful questions. Have you considered this? Have you considered this? This might be helpful. Of Bill Hall, who is going to make sure that you find your significance in the Lord, and in your marriage, that you are pursuing Christ, not just, hey, what are you going to do for me? Or Lad Lesh, maybe for those who are younger, how do I, dude, how do I handle these little tykes running around? You've got two dozen there. How do you do it with your family worship? Give me some tips. Pete Frank, Teacher at Wingate, also teaching biblical truths and not in the biblical truths in ways that you can apply them to your lives. Pete, help me out to understand this text and what to do with it. Bill McCurda, I would want a Bill McCurda. I see the big Papa Bear who, if, if I'm off track, he's going to get in my face. He's not going to let me keep walking astray. But when I'm down, that brother's going to hug me and love me and help me. I want an elder like that. I want a Jason Hilton who loves God, who's a student of the word, who is growing and growing faithfully, joyfully amidst challenges. I want an elder like that. Blair Burke, who will help keep brothers accountable, who are, who are struggling, he will make sure that they're, they're held accountable. He'll take biblical truths, and if you want an illustration to hold on to it, 
Ask him. And he'll give you an illustration you'll hold on to for years. Teve Johnson. Tremendous knowledge of biblical scripture. He will not just give you his ideas. He's going to let you know what God's word says to you and how to apply it in your situation. So if you've got me as a shepherding elder, I hope you have encouraged you. Now you're going to want to trade. Email me. I want one of those guys. Hey, go for it. These guys are wonderful. I want them as my shepherding elder. And the result is peace. That's what the passage says. You are involved. You esteem. You hold up your elders And peace results in the congregation. Now, as far as your involvement in small groups, though, that doesn't count. I said, you're in a small group, uh, but I want you in another one. Okay? That's my push. I'm going to step on toes. That's my sermon. I'm supposed to encourage you and persuade you to get in a small group. So we're going to talk about other small groups that are part of the third S that we're coming to. Now, let's look at what Paul does here. In verse 14, Paul is one, you know, if you've read much of Paul, he can say a lot by saying a lot, (laughs) these long run-on sentences, but he can also say a lot by saying a little. And here's what he does in this passage. He speaks of different functions of small groups. One, in effect, is where you're in a small group and someone comes in your face and speaks correction, admonishment. So there's one where it's, it's in your face. Then there's another where the effect is kind of coming along beside you that he's talking about. And then there's one where someone's so weak that you're kind of pushing them along behind them because they're so weak they can't do it on their own. So some come in front, some come alongside, and some come from behind. The first one in front of them, challenging. The word admonish, nutheteo, means literally put in mind. Put in mind. So we're to admonish the idol, meaning put in mind. Teaching for the sake of correction. Teaching, admonishment for the sake of correction. And it says admonish the idol. Now that word idol, maybe not the best translation, not a bad one, but closer. The, the word there in the Greek, ataktoi, a means without, or a kind of a not kind of word. Taktoi, ordered. So it's saying... These people are not ordered or not disciplined or not doing what's prescribed. Okay, so an undisciplined person, in what way? They break their commitments to others and God. So admonish the ones who are not honoring their commitments to God and to others. Those type of people often need to be admonished, corrected. Sometimes you have to be a little bit of the hammer with folks like this. They may have an addiction. Mm, I, I can handle it. I'll, I'll take care of this tomorrow. And you're saying no. No. I will hold you accountable. I will come be- in your face. And you're going to call me when you're struggling with this. We're going to fight this together. It's kind of awkward for me to tell you this is wrong. But I love you enough to tell you that it's wrong. And I love you enough to hold you accountable. And those that are willing to do that, they might take some punches. (laughs) They might take some punches back when they're willing to do that. The Irish proverb says that a friend's eye is a good mirror. A friend's eye is a good mirror. So this is where you're looking face to face with them 
and letting them see this is where it's going to take you. Discipleship through accountability and repentance. That might be one-on-one, something like that. But then it says the faint-hearted, that we're to care for the faint-hearted, to encourage the faint-hearted. The word for the faint-hearted there means essentially small of soul, discouraged, fearful, sad, weak, lack of confidence in trials. Largely spiritual issues, not completely, but, but largely spiritual issues, might be like a chicken little, the sky is falling, nothing's good, God hates me, the world's wor- everything. it's the worst, it's the worst. And you come alongside him, you let him see Tim Hawkins' video about the worst. No, I'm kidding. Don't, don't worry about that. But you say, it's, it's not the worst. It's not the worst. And you encourage them. You pray with them. This could be somebody in depression where if you've ever experienced that, I can visualize this. Somebody so depressed that it was literally one more step. Take another step down the stairs. Beside them. Walking with them. Because you know it's not going to be that way always. You are helping them forward one step at a time, teaching them, giving them truth. The faint-hearted take time and they take encouragement. It's a bit of a cost. Are you willing to do that? Do you know someone who's faint-hearted? Are you someone who's faint-hearted? At least have you been Likely, and that helps you to empathize with that person. This could take place in a life group. could take place in a women's group where multiple women surround in prayer and teaching and encouragement this faint-hearted sister who needs help. After all, as Ecclesiastes says, two are stronger than one. Three cords are not easily broken. Come alongside them. The third that Paul gives is effectively coming behind them. The one who is weak, Help the weak. The faint-hearted, mainly spiritual, not completely. The weak, mainly physical, not, not completely. But serving those who are physically so weak, they can't help themselves right now, at least for a season. Could be serving at the homeless shelter, taking meals with your life group, going together as a men's group, as a youth group, as a women's group, to pray with love life, to pray for the unborn who do not right now have a voice for themselves. Our society, and this is where more and more of the church needs to step up, our society, as Al Mohler says, it's a culture of death. We want to kill from the womb, and we also want to say, older person, you're not really worthwhile anymore. You can't contribute to the society the same way. Euthanasia, assisted suicide. Some countries, you can be 12 years old now and request to die. More and more, a culture of death, and the church can step up, say, You are not worthless. View yourself with God's eyes, not that of society. In the passage says that we, in the end, should be patient with them all. Patient with them all. With all, you can continue or ask yourself, are you willing? Can you continue to correct and be, be the hammer? Admonish the one that you're correcting when they yell back at you. 
Can you continue to comfort the weak-hearted when you're trying to give them the lifeline, the IV, and they're wanting to tear it out? Can you continue to help? Can you continue to push and help the weak from behind when it feels like nobody else is with you in it? Keep on. Be patient. It takes in messiness. It takes involvement. Small groups, it's life on life. It's not just virtual reality. Could go after the millennials here, but it's not just the millennials that want to communicate with texting, Instagram, Snapchat, all this without really communicating. It's not just millennials. A lot of us do that. Jesus did discipleship in small groups. He taught formally and informally in small groups. 45 times he's called a teacher. And 243 times is referenced to disciples and learners. We are to be involved in discipleship. So our small groups, our small groups, practically, what do we want to do with our small groups? Borrowing an acronym from Randy Pope, at perimeter, teams. Our small groups as a whole are designed to be teams. We want to communicate truth, the T, truth. And so if we think of this, there is so often now a dichotomy that's put out there. God, I don't want to know about you. I want to know you. That sounds kind of noble at first. But on this Father's Day, husband, Go home and tell your wife, I don't want to know about you. I just want to know you. So what about my eye color? What about where I'm from? What about what makes me happy? What makes me sad? What my goals are in life? You don't want to know about them and you think you're going to know me? For us to love God with heart, soul, mind, and truth, there has to be truth. Get away from the false dichotomy. It's either know God or know about him. It's No, it's both. As we know about him, we know him better. Truth could be through women's groups, prayer triads, Bible studies, helping women to study and know God's word so that they know about God, so that they know God. E, equipping. We want to equip you to reproduce, to make Disciples, to be a disciple who makes disciples, invest in you so that you train up and build up other disciples. Coming in the fall, we're going to launch uh, some what we might call journey groups, name yet to come, but also material from Perimeter, where there, it's, it, it we'll be up front, it's a bit of a high cost, not dollar-wise, but time-wise, to truly build disciples meeting weekly or bi-weekly, investment of time, and then go and do it. So we want to equip others through life on life, discipleship. Accountability, the A in teams. This might be a men's group coming alongside another brother, helping them through porn, helping them to be accountable to what they should and should not do so that they are putting off and putting on the glory and goodness in Christ. T-E-A-M, missional. This could be one of many things. It could be men getting together at Father's. Father's Day, thought for fathers. That they say, I want to be more evangelistic 
maybe with my children's activities, the fishing pools that we tend to be in with sports or chess club or drop, what, whatever, I'm going to get to know the other guys around there. And I'm going to seek to make a difference in that way, being missional. And finally, supplication, S. Supplication, praying for others. Our small groups want to pray and give supplication for others. Life groups, praying for each other's families. As you get to know them and their children, you pray, I've got this problem with my children. Please pray for me. Lifting up each other. So you might say, you know, okay, I I get some of that. And we can't bind your conscience. We're good as Presbyterians. We can't say you have to be in this small group or that small group. It's not scriptural. We're good about that. But we're saying if you want to make disciples, hopefully this inspires you somewhat. And we're asking you to commit to one of these. You might, you might say, well, you know, I, I get my fill. I get my teaching through podcasts. I love podcasts. I listen to a lot of good podcasts. That's not quite the same as small groups, life on life, integrating with each other. That's a great supplement Or you might say, I'm an introvert. Small groups, life groups, I feel so exposed. I don't don't need that. You know, I mean, it's on my license. I'm I'm an introvert. I'm a card-carrying introvert. So if I could do it, once we're done in here, I'm out of here. I'm going to be in the bedroom at home just kind of recovering. I got to recover. I'm an introvert. But I see the value of small groups. It's important for building disciples and speaking into each other's lives. So, brothers and sisters, build disciples through life groups, men's groups, women's groups, the shepherding groups that you're a part of while patiently waiting on the results. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, has surely been patient with us. Within just a couple pages in the Bible, here's Jesus' patience. He rebukes his small group leader, Peter. Thereafter, he rebukes Peter again for missing the bigger vision during the mountaintop transfiguration. Uh, but small group is, is still, still going to work. He stops an argument between some of his small group members and other religious leaders. Oh, man, are these small group folks ever going to get it? He rescues his small group members who couldn't do what he told them to do. He corrects his small group members who were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. But he was patient with them. As he is patient with you, as he is patient with me, as he has been patient, is being patient, and will be patient, let us do the same with each other as we build disciples. Pray with me.